I'm sorry. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Mac. Uh, we have uh, one half the team of Team Trotty this morning. Joe is giving us announcements this morning. So take it away, Joe. Right there. Yeah. Just two this on? Yeah. Yes? Lisa told me not to forget, uh, so you wouldn't forget her. You're supposed to be a hair flip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, good morning. And, uh, that we wanted to really highlight all the announcements are in your bulletin. Um, this Wednesday night, the meal and study will resume. That's uh, at 7 o'clock. Uh, d- dinner is at 6 and studies at 7. Uh, the Truth Lab for the children will start again this Wednesday night also at 7 o'clock. Uh, come and be a lab assistant with us and explore the fascinating experiments, uh, create inventions, and learn what God has to say, say about us as his children. Sounds interesting. Maybe we should all attend. Uh, and the men's breakfast will be this Saturday, and it will be at 7.30 in the morning. Those who want to help with the cooking can come at 6.30. Uh, we encourage all the men, if possible, to come. And uh, there will be a women's luncheon this Sunday at Jan- on January 10th after the service. All the women in the church are invited to participate in this good time, good food, and fellowship. Uh, on January 24th, very important announcement, church, all church meeting. Uh, this is our annual meeting. We'll be uh, also um, putting our 
new members of the boards in place, so we want you to be there. There'll be a vote for that, and we'll install them. So, you're staring at me? Okay. And then... good-looking man. Please... <laughs> you're sick. Um, uh, please take a moment to fill out the contact card in your bulletin. Uh, they're updating all of our contact information, so that would be important for us to be able to communicate with you. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, as we get start uh, here into uh, the main portion of worship here, uh, as we were prepping, as I was prepping this week, uh, I was thinking, I saw the Francis Chan video. I don't know if anybody's had a chance to see Amen. that. That was Amen. a really cool video. Uh, but it got me thinking about decisions, and I kept coming back to the word instead this week. Um, I think we use it very often. Uh, a lot of times we're just stuff very near, like near and immediate to us. So, you know, do I want a nacho bel grande or do I want a salad? You know, things things like that that are not uh, not very far, far-reaching. And... Um, uh, in Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 through 3, it reads, uh, and you'll hear the word instead here at the end, uh, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is, is on me um, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to uh, bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the, uh, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, uh, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Uh, they will call. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the, for the display of His splendor. And um, as we sing these, this first song, um, just know that God has a better plan for us. Um, a plan involving us uh, free from the debt of sin instead of being subject to it. Um, he wants us. He wants to give us that better instead. So ultimately, we can point others to the better instead that's found in Him.
Well, Happy New Year. January 3rd already, this year's going by so fast. It's usually what we say at Easter, we can't believe we're already to Easter, we can't believe we're already the 4th of July, and pretty soon it's going to be Christmas again. The year's just, one thing I've learned, that the older I get, the faster time goes. And uh, it is amazing that we are in 2016 uh, already, and uh, well on our way. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions? Got them? Um, I'm not making New Year's resolutions this year. I haven't for a number of years. I saw the funniest thing ever this week with regarding New Year's resolutions. Someone said, I am not making New Year's resolutions. I said, he said, I made one last year to lose 15 pounds and I only have 20 to go. And so that was, he's just going to roll that one right over into this year. But I I love New Year's. I love this time of year because it's a chance to kind of restart. It's a chance to recalibrate, kind of get our bearings again as we move forward into a a new year. And uh, I hope that you have done that. I hope that you have taken these last several days or or plan on in the the days ahead to, to do that. Uh, to kind of just lay this, and we want to do this this morning through prayer, we just want to lay this year in front of the Lord. Uh, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me that He knows what this year holds. We don't. It's a blank. Someone was saying January 1st on Facebook, they were posting, you know, this is the first blank page of a 365-page book or something like that, being poetic with the, the whole look at a year is a, is a blank page. It's not blank to God. He knows what lies ahead for us. And He's leading us into those things. He's leading us into the ups and into the downs, into the positive things, into what we might consider negative, into the hurts, into the healings. He knows all of the joys and sorrows that lies before us. And so we just want to lay this this year in front of Him as as individuals, as families, as a church family. And uh, so let's just go join our hearts in prayer. And, and do just that. Father, we are thankful that you love us. And that, Father, that is an immeasurable love. That we, we can't fully comprehend or understand how deep your love is for us. And, and, and Father, because we, we see ourselves so many times as unlovely. As battling against you. Father, I, I pray. Lord, that we might understand your love for us, that, Father, we might understand the joy that is ours in knowing you. Lord, this morning I lay myself, this year in front of me, I lay it before you. Father, may I surrender my will, that we might accomplish your will to your glory, for the things that you desire. Father, I lay my family before you for what you want to do in our midst, in our home, for the new challenges, Lord, for the new joys, the the hurts, the sorrows that may come along the way. Father, we know that you go before us. Father, as pastor, I, I lay this church before you that not my will be done, but your will. 
Father, that we might be the church you desire us to be. That you need us to be. In this community, in this place, at this time. Lord, help us to be intentional with our own lives. Help us to grow. Help us to live. Help us to serve. Help us to tell. Help us to steward our lives. Lord, that to your glory we would reach this community. Father, unite us as a body. Father, for new friendships that will be made this year. For strained relationships that will be healed. Father, that your kingdom might move forward. That you would add to the number daily. Father, we are not worthy to be called children of God. And yet that's what you call us. Because you have created us. You have recreated us. By faith we are co-heirs. By faith we are your children. Father, teach us your ways. Renew your spirit within us this year. To your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have heard of the Darwin Awards? You you chuckle. Those that laugh have heard of them. The Darwin Awards are given every year. You're not going to find them on TV. There's not a special show, although maybe there should be. I I love the the Darwin Darwin Awards, and here's what they are. They're named in honor of Charles Darwin, the father of evolution. And they are there to commemorate those who improve our gene pool by removing themselves from it. Okay, now this isn't given to, you know, suicide. That's not what... It, this is just people who are being stupid. Okay? And, and wind up dead because of their stupidity. Now that's a sad thing and, and we're, we're kind of laughing about it. But... but Here's, here's where we're going. Let me just share some of these with you. I've got, I've got a few. Here's the first one. Robert, 37. This gives you an idea of what, uh, what the Darwin Awards are all about. Shot himself while explaining gun safety to his wife. When he placed a 45 caliber pistol, he thought was unloaded under his chin and pulled the trigger. His wife told the police that the incident occurred after her complaints about her husband's 70 guns prompted him to demonstrate their safety. A 23-year-old bar brawler who had been escorted out of the Turtle Club in Florida by a bouncer sneaked back in and leaped off a staircase, aiming a kick at another man but was killed when he landed on his head. A terrorist didn't put enough postage on a letter bomb and when it came back marked return to sender he opened the package and was blown away now these are all verified as true that just sounds like a cartoon two animal rights activists were protesting the cruelty of sending pigs to a slaughterhouse by freeing a captive herd Suddenly, all 2,000 of the pigs stampeded through the gate they were opening and trampled the hapless protesters to death. News of the Weird reports that in September 
1996, this is a number of years ago, a man was crushed to death on a stairway at, the, at a real estate and insurance office in New York while he was stealing the office's 600-pound safe. He apparently violated the cardinal rule of hauling massive objects, never stand on a step lower than the one the safe is on. The safe was empty at the time. He was stealing an empty safe. And last one, in San Jose, California, an avid hunter used the butt of his shotgun to bash his girlfriend's windshield during an argument, but his loaded gun accidentally discharged into his stomach, killing him and ending the argument. Now, these are all sad stories, and, and, and we can kind of laugh at, at the idiocy behind them, the, the not thinking through. But the question that always comes to my mind is that while people are always doing crazy things, and I'm sure this year is going to be filled with things that you do that might be crazy, that might, you know, unless God intervenes, might win you a Darwin Award. But my question in each of these is, where were their friends? Where was the voice of reason telling them, you know, this isn't a good idea? You probably shouldn't be doing this. Now, if you read enough of these, and the, the Darwin Awards date back to many, many years, if you, a lot of times their friends are standing right beside them urging them on. Where was the voice of reason? We all need the voice of reason in our lives. Because from time to time we all do stupid things. We all do things that may harm us, may harm others, that we haven't thought through, that aren't going to end well, that have consequences, that if we had, you know, once we do them and we take the consequences, we're like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't have. We need those friends that are going to come alongside us and say, you know what, you're being stupid. You're being stupid. You need to stop what you're doing. This isn't going to end well. And, and more than that, there, there are times when we are called upon to be that friend. When we are called upon to be the voice of reason. As we continue our journey through Galatians, we're going to jump ahead a little bit into chapter 6. And we're just going to look at one verse. Chapter 6, verse 1. And, and really, Paul... Uh, in chapters 5 and 6, kind of leaves and and changes the course of his letter. He he set out with a lot of doctrine, a lot of issues, of things they needed to know, things they needed to understand doctrinally. And now in chapters 5 and 6, he begins to get very practical. He says, now understanding all of these truths, this then is what you need to do. And I jump ahead to chapter 6, verse 1, because Paul illustrates it for us in chapter 4, where we left off Last week. So if you turn your Bibles to chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, here's what Paul says Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now I want to just pick this verse apart, kind of a word at a time or a phrase at a time, so that we get an understanding of what this practical issue is, of what Paul is telling us to do in regards to, to the relationships that we have. Because when we look at our lives, it, it boils down to just relationships. The most important thing is our, in our lives are relationships. First, our relationship with God is, is adamantly important. The most important thing we can do is that relationship with God. And we need to constantly be feeding that. We need to constantly be growing in that relationship. 
We need to be helping others grow in that relationship. But then we also have a relationship with one another. With, it, with each one, as you look around, these are the people that God has placed that, that we call family. That we call our spiritual family. Last, last week we talked about being adopted into God's family. We're all, if we are a believer here this morning, if you've placed your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a part of God's family. And that makes us all brothers and sisters. And what Paul is saying is that if that is the case, then, then we have some responsibilities to one another. And he lays this one out. He says, as a believer, you have a responsibility to everyone else to be that friend with the voice of reason. If you see someone about to do something stupid, you step in. If you see someone about to do something that's going to bring harm to them or harm to the, the body or harm to their family, you step in. It's not a wait and see. He says, let's, he says first, he says, brothers. Which just signifies relationship. Paul was acknowledging that, that we are family. That, that we are a family of God, that we are brothers and sisters. Now, he could have easily said brothers and sisters, but he tended in his letters to just write brothers. And we understand that, that, that both sexes are, are applied. But this was a family relationship. We need to see ourselves as family. God's family. Maybe, maybe not as your biological family, because those aren't always all that great. We don't always want to take all of the things we understand family, biological family to be, and put it on church family. Church family is better. Should be better. Relationships should be closer than biological family. Because we're all standing in the same place. We're all standing on the same ground in front of the cross, looking to Jesus, looking to God for guidance. Being led by the same Spirit. Not everyone in my family is led by the Holy Spirit. So there's going to be turmoil. There's going to be things that we just don't agree on. My family's not one of unity. But God's family should be. And so Paul reminds us of that by just that simple word, brothers. Brothers and sisters, family members. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. He says, someone who is caught. That word caught means detected. Okay? It can also mean future in that it, it's someone who is it's anticipated that they're going to do something stupid. If you see it coming, okay, don't wait till it happens. Don't wait till they're like caught, till they're you know strung up and now they're in a position that they don't know what to do with. But this is this is someone that they've they've either done something or you could see this coming down the road. This person had a had a weakness in an area and they were feeding that weakness. They had a weakness towards a sin, maybe. Or, or to just wrong thinking. And you could see them kind of moving in that direction. Someone who is caught. This person may be exercising their freedom. Paul talked about freedom a lot in this letter. This may be a person that's exercising their freedom in a way that is destructive. That is not building up the body, is not building up their own life. Is not, is not helping grow others, but it's actually hindering and hurting. And, and this is something that you, just, you see it coming. You know this person, you have a relationship with them. And what we learn from this is that the sin of one has consequences for the whole body. 
Sometimes we don't think that way. Well, my sin is just my sin. And my sin, if, if I can get it to go undetected, if I can keep it hidden, then no one's really going to know. It's not going to be all that big of a deal to anyone else. And Paul's saying no. If there is someone caught in a sin, and this doesn't mean it's been detected, it's anticipated. That you're walking down a road and you think no one's going to know. That it's going to affect the entire body. Someone who is caught in a sin. Now this is not the normal Greek word for sin. Because when I read this, read this the first time, I thought someone who's caught in some act. In some action that goes against God's nature, against God's character. It's that, that sin that, you know, the, the Greek word hamartia, which means to miss the mark. And that God has kind of placed a mark, he's, he's placed a target there. And sin is something that misses the target. I had to laugh. My nephew had a, got a new house and he just finished his basement uh, in time for the holidays. And, and he's kind of a game fanatic. He's got ping pong table down there and air hockey down there. And he's got a dart board on the wall. And one of the first pictures he put was of his daughter standing next to the dart board. And it said, the first offender of the wall of shame. And she's standing next to the dartboard and about a foot below the dartboard is the dart stuck in the wall. In the drywall. And of course everyone encouraged him, you need to go get the cork board to protect the, protect the drywall. And he just hadn't got that yet. But that, that is how I understood sin to be. Missing the mark. Missing the target completely. That God kind of laid out, this is the way life is supposed to work. This is the things you should be doing. The things you should be about. And we miss the mark. We sin. We fall short. That's not the word he uses here. He said, if, brothers, if, if any of you, if someone who is caught in a sin, and here Paul uses the word that means to deviate from the truth. So this is not so much a sin of action, as it could also be a sin of thought. Someone who's just simply deviated from the truth. They're thinking wrong. If we see someone, if we're coming alongside someone and in our relationships, in our families, and we see someone beginning to think wrongly, maybe it's about God, maybe it's about family, maybe it's about their marriage, maybe it's about their children, maybe it's about their neighbors, whatever it is, they're beginning to think wrongly. That's the word he uses here. Someone is caught in a sin. Someone has been detected or you're anticipating wrong thinking from them. And you know that wrong thinking is going to have consequences. Paul is just simply stating here that doctrine is important. What you believe is important. Because it's going to turn out into actions. That what your mind perceives as truth, your body is going to live out in action. What you think is right is how you will live. And so how we think is incredibly important. I've stressed that since day one, I've stressed it for 29 years of ministry. That what you think is important. And Paul's saying it right here. If anyone is caught in wrong thinking, if anyone is caught in, in, in thinking, uh, in deviating from the truth, right thinking is critical to our growth. 
Right thinking is critical to our maturity. Right thinking is critical to what this next year is going to hold. If I'm thinking wrongly, if I'm not thinking scripturally, if I'm not thinking biblically, then my life is going to be messed up. And if my life is messed up, my family's life is going to be messed up. And if my family's life is messed up, then the church's life is going to be messed up. My ability to think correctly, to think biblically, has far-reaching consequences or ramifications on what our church does. And that's true for each of us. So Paul says, think correctly. And if anyone is caught, if anyone is anticipated that their thinking is going off, that their thinking is wrong, that they're heading in the wrong direction, brothers, if someone is detected to be believing a false doctrine, or if you suspect, anticipate, that they are caught up in wrong thinking or wrong doing, then you who are spiritual should restore them. I want to focus on that word restore before we focus on that word spiritual. That word for restore shares shares the idea of setting a broken bone. You're restoring it. Okay, it's broken. It's not functioning properly. In many aspects, it's completely unusable. And you're restoring it. You're, You're helping to make it usable again. That word restore also means to strengthen, to perfect, to complete, to make one what he ought to be. You see, if anyone is caught, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, if someone is caught uh, moving away from the truth, if someone is heading down a road that is wrong thinking, then you who are spiritual need to restore, need to complete them, need to bring them back. Need to take that that thinking that is going to be unusable and harmful and make it usable again. Help make them what they ought to be, not where they are heading. It's the idea of taking something that is unusable and over time making it usable again. Restoring it. We talk about restoring cars. You take an old clunker out of a junkyard, old rusted bucket of bolts, and you begin what? Piecing it back together. You begin restoring it. Returning it to to many times better than it was originally off the line. We're to restore people. As a body, it is our job to restore us. That each person in the body of Christ impacts the effectiveness of the whole body. Wrong thinking, wrong actions negatively affect the whole body. Restore them. A broken bone weakens the whole body. You know, I can't run, even though my legs may be perfectly healthy and strong, I cannot run as fast with a broken arm as I can if both arms are usable. The broken arm will slow my legs down. The broken body, the broken part of the body is going to slow the rest of the body down. It's going to hinder us from operating the way we need to fully operate. And so, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, if someone is caught uh, going away from the truth, then you who are spiritual need to restore them. You need to bring them back. You need to start bringing healing. 
Many of us are going through flu and cold season. I know these last two weeks have been rough. Our house has bounced. It's bounced through our house. I thought I was over it and yesterday it all kind of started to stuff up again. I could sing bass this morning pretty well though. The other day I sounded like Barry White. But you know that when you have a flu or you have, have a cold that your body cannot function with the aches and the pains. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just stay in bed. Don't even try. It, you're unusable in that sense. You're not functioning. So you need to rest. You need to, you need to be restored. And so you take the medication, you eat the chicken noodle soup, and, and you go to bed, you take the hot shower, the hot bath, the whatever it is, you get the rest so that your body can be restored, so that it can function as it ought to. Same is true with the body of Christ. How many, of you, how many of you can feel a cold coming on? You just sense it. Oh, man. Just, and, and you hit the emergency, right? That, that nasty powder stuff you mix with water, shake it up, and you got to gulp it because you only want to taste it once. I found the perfect solution to that. You buy that. They now come out with a lot of different... How many of you know what I'm talking about? Emergency. It's like a thousand times the daily requirement of vitamin C. And so you just overload your body with it. Well, they come out with several flavors. Pink lemonade is not a bad flavor. And if you mix it in a glass of Snapple peach tea, it tastes pretty good. I learned that this week. But we can feel it coming on. And so, brothers, if any of you sense that, that a cold is coming on in some area of the body, that some area of the body is not functioning properly, we need to restore it. It's our responsibility to be the friend, to be the voice of reason with the other parts of the body. We don't just let it go. You don't just let a broken arm go. Ah, it'll take care of itself. I got another arm, I'll use that. No, we, we jump on that. As soon as we know it's a problem, we, we fix it. Same is true in our spiritual bodies, in our spiritual family. We are only as strong as our weakest link. This is, this is most noticeable in the local body of believers. The smaller in number, the more noticeable the effect. We're not a big church. We're, we're bigger than most. But if we allow sickness, if we allow broken bones, if we allow wrong thinking, if we allow wrong actions, we're not going to be a healthy body. Your sin, your deviation from the truth will negatively impact this local body. My sin, any deviation I may have from the truth will negatively impact the effectiveness of this body. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, if someone is caught in a deviation from truth, then you who are spiritual, restore them. You who are spiritual, who is that? Who should do the restoring? That sounds like some elite group of super saints. 
Where's that committee? Who serves on that team? The restoration team. The spiritual team. Well, it's the elders, right? No. That's not what Paul's talking about. Hopefully the elders are a a spiritual group of, of men. But what he's talking about here is you and me. Anyone who is spiritual. That definition for spiritual simply means you who have the Spirit of God. And if you're a part of the family of God, you have the Spirit of God. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has come and indwelt your life, and therefore you are, by definition, spiritual. And so those of you who are spiritual, those of you who have the Spirit, it is our job, your job, to restore those that are deviating from the truth, that may be going down the wrong road, may be caught up in something that is going to be devastating to not only them and their family, but our entire church body. We owe that to one another. We need to be the voice of reason in one another's life. It's going to require a relationship, is it not? It's going to, re- it's going to require knowing one another. It's going to require a, a, a level of community that many of us maybe have never experienced. We all have that responsibility to help one another not be broken bones. To not deviate from the truth. At Mac, we say we are intentional with one another, that we're living on purpose to help each other grow in our relationship with Christ, to help each other live out the, the fruit of the Spirit in all of our relationships, to, to, to be intentional and help one another serve with the gifts that God has given us, the abilities that God has given us. That we're intentional with one another to tell our stories, to tell our grace stories. To steward our lives, to to be a part of of each other's life, to be involved in one another. You who are spiritual, brothers, if someone is deviating from the truth in our body, if someone has a broken bone in our body, if someone is heading down a wrong road and you've detected it, you can anticipate it, you see it coming, you have the responsibility as the one filled with the Holy Spirit to step in and begin the healing process. Don't wait. Don't assume someone else is going to do it. We're all responsible to one another. As co-heirs, as as being adopted into this family, we now have rights and responsibilities as children of God. And Paul says, here's the key. Restore them gently. Oh, it's easy to go in and re-break the bone. To go in and slap it around a little bit. To be tough. To speak harsh. To correct. To yell at. To tell them where to get off, tell them what they're doing wrong, tell them what's going to happen. Paul says, uh uh, gently. With humility. He says, remember, we all have our areas of weakness. We are all susceptible to deviations in some area of our life. None of us are perfect, We, we all have our struggles. We all at times are going to be the one that is caught, that is deviated, that needs pulled back in. 
He said, so do it gently. When you are called upon to be the spiritual one who restores, do it gently. Do it with humility. We have to understand that in mending the brother or sister, we, we, we cannot destroy the relationship. I've seen that happen. We go in and we, we fix it, but we totally destroy the relationship. That word gently carries with it the idea of power or strength under control. That under control part's hard. For, for a lot of people, I'm speaking for myself, that under control part's not always easy. I can go in with power and I can go in with authority, but can I go in with power and authority and strength under control? Or am I just going to go in and light things ablaze? Brothers, you who are spiritual, restore the one who's been caught. If someone is caught, restore them gently. With that power, with that rightness, with that authority, with that strength, under control. Don't go in and do more damage. Don't break the bone in three more places. This is not an emotionally volatile confrontation with another believer. Philippians chapter 1, he says, And this is my prayer, Paul tells the Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That your love may abound in knowledge. Remember that deviation from the truth. Those of you that haven't deviated, you're filled with the Spirit, you understand right. You see someone deviating, then you need to go and may your love abound in the knowledge that you have. That you might approach gently. That you might restore gently. Knowledge is important. Doctrine is important. Right thinking is important. But it has to be accompanied by grace and gentleness and power and strength under control. Or we'll do more damage going in. Our emotions have to always be bringing the situation to a place of healing. To a place of restoration. It's not about just me being right and me having to be heard that I am right. It's restoring that person. It's bringing them back. It's bringing that healing gently. Paul illustrates it for us. What does this whole process of of restoration look like? We know in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says... You know, Jesus is, is teaching in Matthew 18. He said, you know, if, if, if you've caught someone, if someone is, has, has sinned against you or hurt you in some way, that you're to go to that person. And if that person listens to you, great, you've won over your brother. You've brought in that restoration. If they don't listen to you, then take one or two other people with, along with you. Go back to them. Explain the situation again with one or two that will bear witness to it. And if they still won't listen to the the two or three of you, then you take them to the church. Now, in our context, the church is then the governing body, the elders. We don't drag people up here on a Sunday morning to air dirty laundry or, or, or point out deviations from the truth. That's where the elders step in. That, that would be the church in this context. And then if they won't listen at that point, then you just turn them over to Satan. Treat them like you would any unbeliever. 
The toughest part in all of those situations is the first one, one one-on-one. You go to them privately. That derails Jesus' talk on confrontation and restoration almost every time. It's hard for us to go one-on-one. It's hard for us to, to, to go face-to-face with a person that we think might be deviating from the truth, might be, might be caught in a sin, might be caught in wrong thinking or wrong action. And, and so what do we do? Well, we kind of talk about it. Have you seen? You know, we kind of want to verify. Or we use it as a prayer request. Pray for so-and-so. I think that they are whatever it is. Paul says, before you do any of that, Jesus says, before you do any of that, you go to them one-on-one. So what is this process of brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them, but do it gently? What does that process look like? It starts one-on-one. It starts with you going to them. Before you go anywhere else, you go to them. To do it any other way is for you to deviate from the truth. And now we just got a pile of broken bones. Paul demonstrates this for us in Galatians chapter 4. So just turn back a page. I want to read what Paul does for the Galatians. Now understand this is a little different setting. He's doing it from a letter. And that there are a group. There's not just one person. There's an entire church that is deviating. And Paul, as the, as the, the missionary, as the, as the pastor, the leader of this church is directing it to this one group. Verse chapter, in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, I fear, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. That one-on-one, what does the one-on-one, when I'm... uh, seeing a deviation. What does that one-on-one look like? Paul illustrates it for us here and there's three things that we need to understand. If we're going to go to someone, first thing we need to do is reestablish that relationship. We need to start with some positive reminders of what, of what life was like before the deviation. Of how the relationship started, of where the relationship has gone. Because Paul again refers to them as brothers. He, he reminds them of the spiritual relationship that they have. The depth of that relationship. He even even goes back to, he says, you know, become like me because I became like you. He said, I want you to become like me as a a follower of Christ because I became like you. Remember, I was a Jew and I stepped away from being under the law. The whole thing that he's been talking about in this letter is freedom from the law. And he says, I was under the law and I became like you, Gentiles. Stepped out from under the law. Now become like me, one who's seen freedom in Christ. 
There's a oneness to us. There's a commonality to us. There's a relationship to us. Remember all of the teaching that I brought to you. Remember all of the things that, that, that you learned. Remember the truth. Bring them back to that, that truth, the thing that, that solidified it for them. Bring them back to that point of, of decision to follow Christ. All of the positive reminders, all of the growth things, all of the things that God has done in their life. The strength of your relationship. Because of reminding them of, of all the rightness, of all the truth. He was setting the stage to set the bone, to set the brokenness, to bring healing. He reminds them of the first visit that he was there. Re-establishing the strength of that relationship. He said, remember it was because of illness that I came to you. I don't know what the... We don't have all the details of that, but apparently Paul was sick in one of his missionary journeys and he, he stopped by this area. And he was kind of laid up for a while. And, he, and it offered him an opportunity to preach. And he preached the gospel and they, they welcomed him with open arms. They, they welcomed the message. They welcomed the truth. They put their life into it. They put their faith in Christ and, and a church was established. And Paul said, do you remember how you, you saw me as an angel? Even Christ himself. That's how much they, they valued Paul's life, their, their relationship. Even to the point that, and apparently the illness had something to do with his eyes, because they said, even to the point that you would have been willing to tear out your own eyes and give them to me if you could. Paul said, remember all the positive parts. Remember our relationship. Remember the depth of our relationship. Because then he says, and he gives them clear warnings of the consequences. He said, there's something not right here. So when we go to someone, we need to, to, to reestablish that relationship with them. Remind them of the positive relationship. Remind them of, of all the things that, that God has done in their life up to this point. And then we need to come right out and warn them of the consequences. He says... He said, you're not doing any, me any harm, but you're killing yourself. He said, where is your joy? What has happened to your joy? He points out the changes that he sees, that their, that their sin, that their deviation from the truth is, is bringing upon them. He said, it's robbing you of joy. You're being lied to. He says, I want you to see the truth. And we need to be able to speak truth into their life. We need to point out, because many times when we're on the wrong road, we don't always know we're on the wrong road. People have accused me of, always, of, of thinking that I'm always right. You just think you're always right. I said, well, yeah, everyone does. You think you're always right. Because if there's ever a time you thought you were wrong, I hope you would change your mind to when you thought you were right. If I ever thought I was wrong, I wouldn't be spouting it off. But sometimes when we think we're right, we're deviating from the truth. And Paul points that out to them. He said, your joy is gone. Look at where your life is. Look at where it's heading. Let's look a little farther down the road. What, what's going to happen? What are the consequences of going in this direction? And in chapter 5, verse 2, he says... Paul gets very emphatic and he says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be, crucified, or be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. This is the end result. If you go ahead and do this thing, if you go ahead and deviate from the truth, if you go ahead and, and take this wrong thinking or take this wrong action, then Christ is going to mean absolutely nothing to you. 
And you'll be back at square one because before all of the positive things that we just talked about occurred. They were in danger of walking away from Christ. He said, you're going to lose your freedom. You're going to become a slave again to sin. And then after the warning, he reminds them again that he only comes to them because he cares for them. Because now instead of calling them brothers, he calls them my dear children. Paul had a right to call them children because he's the one that led them to the Lord in that first missionary journey. That first time that he came through the area. He, he was the one that, that fostered that, that initial faith. He was the one that planted the seed and watered and God gave the increase right there and he started these churches in Galatia. And so he shares their personal concern. This is that, that demonstration of the gentleness of restoration. This is, this is the coming in with gentleness. And he stresses again the relationship from his own perspective. He said, I tell you this because I truly care for you. Because if I didn't care, I'd just let you go ahead and deviate. I'd let you go on your way. I'd let you go and continue in your wrong thinking. Take whatever happens, happens. I'll tell you, I told you so at the end. Paul says, no, I, I care too much for you. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're a part of the family of God. God has so uniquely united us that we are one body. <clears throat> one church. And he said, therefore, we have a responsibility to restore. And he said, it's out of my desire to care for you. It's out of my deep love for you that I say this. That I, that I question you. That I challenge you. That I attempt to set the bone. The brokenness. And this was not Paul's ego that wanted them to stay in the church. Paul was concerned more about their relationship with Christ than anything else. Because it's easy, it could have been easy for Paul to, to say, you know what, I need you guys to stay together. Just fake it if you have to. <laughs> Keep the church together. Because I started this church, and when I go back and report to Jerusalem, I need to report that all my churches are doing well. So if you guys could just fake it. Just, just go along. No, he said, I don't care about any of that. He said, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about Christ being formed in you. I'm concerned about your maturity. I'm concerned about your relationship where you are. Even to the point that in one letter Paul says, if I could, have, if I could be cast into hell so that no one else would have to, I would do that. You see the deep relationship? The love that is there, that is established in the community of God? This next year, we have a new year in front of us. We have blank pages in front of us. We have the opportunity to establish these types of relationships. Some of you already have them. That is phenomenal. Some of you have been the recipient of restoration. Some of you have been on the, on the, on the, the one who is spiritual to go and restore. This year we need to become tighter, more unified, broaden that, those relationships, deepen those relationships. 
Because my sin affects my family. And affects this church. And if anybody sees me deviating from the truth, you better call me on it. Because it affects you. And if your sin will affect your life and your family and this church, that if I see you in sin, I better call you on it. I better restore you gently. And together, if we are all looking out for one another, if we're all seeing that I'm responsible to be the voice of reason in your life, and you're responsible to be the voice of reason in my life, to the glory of God. God works in that situation. God brings others. God grows. God adds. God multiplies. Because then we're healthy. We're restored. We're not deviating. We have a year in front of us. A new beginning. We're going to focus on those intentional relationships. On being intentional with one another. Of speaking into one another's life. Of being that voice of reason. Father, this morning, we thank you for the challenge that Paul puts before us. That we have a responsibility to one another. Father, thank you for, for us being the body of Christ, for, for, for initiating us into that relationship. Father, for bringing us by faith into and adopting us as brothers and sisters. Father, would you now so unite us that the world would look at the relationships we have with one another and that they would know that the only explanation is Jesus Christ in our life. That we might through our unity, that we might through our community, that we might through, through our devotion and desire for one another show the world something they know nothing about. True love, true affection, true family. Father, unite us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?
chapter 61, which is chapter Jeremy read uh, earlier this morning. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, speaking about Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, to release and release for the prisoner, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, this is when he starts talking about us. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. And restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. They have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. <clears throat> you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land and everlasting joy will be theirs. To allow the Spirit to work through us. To restore those relationships. To bring restoration to the lives of people is what Jesus wants to do through us and in us. <coughs> so go. Go gently. Go in love for one another. Build those relationships. Amen.